This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are going to review Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 9, which is crazy. We've come so far. The Inner Fight. And normally we do a bunch of news, but today we're just going to do a review. Yes, it's the penultimate episode of the season. Sort of a, well, explicitly, I guess, a part one of two, right? Yes. Well, there is a cliffhanger. Yeah, it ends with the to be continued. It's only the second time they've done that. And the last time was a season finale. Yeah, this is really their first two-parter, but they aren't calling it part one and part two. Right. Which was a TNG tradition. So I'm kind of surprised. I mean, we actually don't know the title of next week's episode. We anyway. almost didn't know the title of this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there was a lot of hype about spoilers and what a big deal this episode is. And I kind of wish there hadn't been any of that because I actually quite enjoyed the episode, but I didn't, I was confused by all the hype. And I guess it made me expect something even bigger than what we got. Yeah. So let's, we don't have news, but we'll get back to the episode in a moment, which we should do a little strike update, I guess, because it's kind of an important thing for where things are with Star Trek. And we've talked about this a lot in recent weeks, although it's a little unclear, but things were looking good a couple weeks ago. Then they were looking bad. I think things are looking better again. That's what I can sense from the outside. I mean, it feels like better, but with a with a very scary ticking clock is what it seems to be. I mean, things are changing so quickly that by the time this goes up, things might have changed again. But it's, I mean, this has been such a long haul. There are so many people out of work. And now it's possible that if they don't resolve things within about a week, that they're going to hold off until after the holidays. Apparently, there's a new deal that was proposed. It apparently was discussed today. They took a day off um, to discuss it. So there is a negotiation happening. There's a lot of pressure within the actor community and within Hollywood itself for SAG to come to a deal and for the AMPTP, whatever, yep. <laughs> um, to come to a deal. It's because everyone wants to get back to work. There was an interesting video put out by Zachary Quinto this week talking all about that and how people need to stay strong and support the union, but kind of acknowledging how with the WGA strike, essentially work has stopped since May, partially, and then for sure since the beginning of July. I mean, this is all, again, what we're reading in the trades and all the actors and all the people involved in negotiations are saying, please be very careful where you get your information, what you believe. Some things are spin. I don't know. But um, but this sounds pretty serious and real. From a Star Trek perspective, you know, we know that there's all these things they want to get back to work on, notably the Section 31 movie. Although it does sound like, you know, one of the worries that I had for this is that Michelle Yeoh because of her schedule, if the strike ended too late and she would have to do some other project and that would, you know, delay or the movie, it sounds like she's going to do what it takes to make it happen whenever it happens. Right. That's what Alex said at Comic-Con. Yeah. It's having an impact on Strange Two Worlds, of course, because so 2024 is still looking like it's unclear what we're going to get Star Trek wise. So it was interesting during the Comic-Con because as I understand it, they're not recording any voices for season five of 
lower decks yet, or they haven't been honoring the strike, even though technically they don't have to because of it's actually not a SAG show. But Mike talked about season five. He'd say, well, next year, season, because every year, every summer, the, the show's debuted a new season. Maybe he's just used to that pattern, but he seems to think that season five will happen next year. So, you know, maybe they will be able to pull that off. Yeah. I mean, voiceovers faster to do. Yeah, <laughs> but get it, the actors back, but then you've still got to do all the other work. So there are a lot of pieces to this and it's just been a horrible thing for the whole industry, especially like COVID first. And then we come out of that and then these strikes and there's a lot of people out there who desperately need to be back at work. Let's talk Star Trek again. Let's get back to the episode. I mean, you, you were you were talking about this secrecy thing. And I think, I mean, yeah, the, last week we we're like, are we even going to get the episode in advance? We did, but not in the usual. You know, we had a couple days with it. We still don't have the finale. So they, they are keeping this close to the chest. But it was weird that, that they didn't release. You know, every Monday they usually release you know, preview images and the episode title and a synopsis. And and this week they didn't release the title, the inner fight or the synopsis, both of which are generic and not spoil (laughs) anything. I mean, inner fights, you know, an interesting thing because it, there's layers to it and there's a reference to the inner light and all that, but it doesn't spoil any of the spoilery things about the episode really. So I think they were taking it a little far as it were. Yeah. Because it made me expect, I don't know, almost like a movie or something. Um, and I did really like the episode, but I, I've i seen people gushing about it in a way that I also think, oh, I, I didn't think it was like mind-blowing, but... Well, it was seeped in Star Trek in many ways. As Mike indicated, he's called the final two episodes Ultimate Star Trek, Ultimate Lower Decks. I think that's apt here because... Agree. This episode is... You know, it ties into previous seasons of Lower Decks, this whole season of Lower Decks, uh, and some major next generation. And it tries to create this kind of unified field theorem of everything, you know, with Mariner at the center of all of it. And uh, I think people are excited about how everything connects. I think they really strain things to make it all fit together. But I do like I like it. And, and and then there's the whole layer of how it ties into the origin story of the show itself. Yeah, that's the part I really liked was that dip. I mean, I liked a lot of it. I loved it. all the Mariner stuff is great. And using her as a focal point made so much sense and I thought was was very powerful. But then it really did try to talk about what inspired. I mean, we can all laugh and say it was the episode Lower Decks. haha. But that there was a lot of deep thinking about what it really meant to be. A lower decker in a serious, not a bunks with towel guy fun way, but an actual serious way of what does this mean? And and a look at Star Trek, not the franchise, the shows, but the world building of it and what it would mean to be part of it. And And there were some other meta aspects, I feel, of this show or at least commentary in that both storylines, the Mariner storyline and the Freeman storyline, were commenting i felt on some of these contradictions with this within star trek specifically this whole idea of exploration idealism and how much of the show is also about war and fighting and shooting things they're saying that 
you know, these things are incompatible and it, it messes with people's minds, obviously, within the Federation itself. But I feel like Mike is kind of saying something there about how there's the line where Mariner says, I'm going to call BS when I see it. I, I, I That felt very meta to me. It's almost a commentary on Star Trek, perhaps. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, people like Star Trek for different reasons. And there's some people who really like this, the idea that it's almost the future of the military. Right. And they see Starfleet as a military organization. And I've, ne- despite the ranks and promotions and all of that, my idealism, I don't ever see it as a military organization. And that is why I, I don't like the war stories so much. Like the, I love Deep Space Nine. But there are a lot of things in those war episodes that I didn't like. Enterprise, I had problems with war story, even sometimes like Discovery, because I felt like, well, that's not to me what Star Trek is about. And so I like the idea of saying, well, what if you're in Starfleet feeling like that's not what it's about and then you're at war? You know, these are everything that you and I have been talking about are complicated issues of lore and theme and tone so I think if there is a strike against this episode, it is that this is a comedy show and this wasn't the funniest episode of the series. There was comedy moments for sure, but you one know, they, in particular that made me cackle quite a bit. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, there was but, broad comedy yeah, at yeah. times, but they're delving into mash like territory yeah. of saying, you know what, we're going to talk about war and. PTSD and some serious issues as well. And loss. This is an episode, you know, I said last week, you need to love the characters. This is another episode where you not only need to love these characters, to certainly appreciate some of these layers of this episode, because there's things that are being mentioned, like the Klingon character, Ma, do people immediately recognize him? Like, that's the guy from Wage Dooch. He was a lower decker. He was made captain. And then... He was in the first episode of the season. Uh, there's lots of stuff like that where this episode might have benefited from a previously in the Star Trek franchise where they showed yeah. you like <laughs> they showed you Ma and Cito and Nick Lacarno and all these things because it takes a bit to put all these pieces together. It was very finely woven together. Probably listens to this podcast and readers of our site are putting those pieces together. But I wonder if, you know, the, the normies out there and the casuals. <laughs> the are, normies and the casuals. <laughs> yeah, how, how much of this is just, you know, and, and, and is the episode working for them when they don't really know who Nick Lucarno is? Right. Because a lot of times things like that would be put in as a joke. So then sometimes you'd miss the joke and it's not such a big deal. But this you had to know who they were for it to have the impact that it did. I mean, everybody's mind has been blown by Nick Lacarno. I don't think anyone had Nick Lacarno on their bingo card uh, for this one. For the season villain, no. <laughs> and I think it's great because, well, I mean, I did, I think on this podcast, I did predict one thing that does appear to be true. A couple things. One is from the beginning, we we didn't think they were killing people. Right. They were, they were capturing. That was right. The other thing is after the episode where the one Ferengi officer, Lower Decker, indicated that he was working with the bad guys, mm-hmm. I think I suggested it can't just be the Ferengi. They all, every one of those ships must have had someone. And so I think the picture we're seeing here now is that Nick is building a fleet of disgruntled Lower Deckers. Right. 
who all turned against their captains, you know, because he was rejected from Starfleet. He's looking for other people who want to reject their various fleets and form his own fleet. We don't know what his ultimate ends are. He's just looking for a new squadron to do that cool piloting trick. (laughs) (laughs) If you notice, I don't know if you call it a uniform, but the jacket he's wearing at the end has a symbol on it. It kind of looks like the anarchy symbol, but it's different. And that symbol was painted on the Klingon ship, which again is the same Klingon ship from Wage Dooge. Do you know that? Do you need to know that? Maybe not. But his army may just want to cause chaos out there, I think. Well, think of the the four, uh, they said former Starfleet officers that they were interested, that they had to protect. Well, they thought Nick Lacarna was one of them. But Seven of Nine, who we know had all kinds of struggles, and at that point was home and not in Starfleet. Yeah. Right? Beverly Crusher, who we know disappeared for an extended period of time. And Tom Riker, who I thought was still in a Cardassian prison, but I guess. Or didn't even survive the Dominion War. We kind of didn't know what his, you know, so we, you know, we got a confirmation that other Riker is out there somewhere, or or at least Starfleet thinks he is. Right. These are people, they don't know where they are, but they're, they're trying to find them. One might think that those three characters, seven, Thomas Riker, Beverly are going to show up in the finale because they're mentioned, but I don't think so. Oh. Maybe one of them, but yeah, it could go. It really could. They could do any of them. Again, there was funny in this episode. The Beverly Crusher created a couple funny moments for Boimler because he was he was so excited um, that he thought that they were going to meet her, and, and then he had his little dream that he was taking tap dancing lessons from her. Yeah, I, I think he's got a bit of a crush on uh, Beverly. Well, can you blame him? Of course. Yeah, I but, think I have a little crush on Beverly. I also would like to learn tap dancing from her. Speaking of Beverly, I mean, so what this episode has confirmed or established is that Mariner was at the Academy at the same time as the episode with Nick Locarno and Cito and Nova Squadron when Picard came and he gave that great speech about duty and honor and all that stuff. So she knows Wesley, too. Well, that's what I'm saying. She probably knows Wesley. Which is why when Nick and her see each other, they obviously know each other because they, you know. Well, now I'm thinking that Will Wheaton could show up next week because I we know that Mike wanted to find a way to get him in there. He said that a couple of years ago. Yeah, that is a way because obviously that episode was a Wesley episode. That was the kind of whole yep. point of that episode. Well, well, obviously, Robert Duck and McNeil came back again for a second time. <laughs> Playing a second character or third I mean, character. I was going to say sort of a third character if you count the plate. <laughs> it seemed like low-hanging fruit, but, you know, so, will someone mention that, God, you look a lot like Tom Paris <laughs> in the in the finale? I think Boimler might. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Of course, there was a fan theory that Nick Lacarno and Tom Paris were the same person. Well, you know, and there was evidence yeah. Because there's there's a Voyager episode where Tom Paris's dad has a picture of Tom on his desk, only it's a picture of Nick Lucarno. Yeah. So that, <laughs> uh, you know, which is obviously just a production goof, but um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and we, you know, the real world story is that Nick Lucarno was the basis of the Tom Paris character, but they didn't want to pay, pay the writer to reuse his character. So they just created a new character. Right. 
and kept the same actor. So, but I think he kind of played him like he was Nick Locarno. Yeah, I, I think um, <laughs> Robbie's talked about it himself. Yeah. You know that it doesn't really matter to him, really. But it was more a paramount decision. So, but still, it's funny that they, you know, look. They definitely look alike, except he's got a little bit of a beard yeah. here. He's scruffy looking. He looks more like Robbie. <laughs> right, indeed. Speaking of scruffy looking, just a total diversion. Did you pick up there was there were a few Star Wars moments I felt. Yeah. Well, I, I would say a he- not just like there was there were moments and there was just a heavy overall Star Wars vibe. Like this that whole scene, that whole thing where they go to the bar where Freeman and Shax and Rutherford like they were in Star Wars land. So it was basically Tatooine. Mud's Bar was basically the cantina. But I also thought that when they arrived at New Axos, the people running the planet were very much like Imperial officers. This British accent, the little caps. Yeah. And the vehicles looked like Star Wars vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. But yet on the other planet, uh, Sherball, when they come to the station in the forest, that looked very much like out of Return of the Jedi when they attack the <laughs> Imperial bunk- Bunker. Maybe that's more just the animators adding yet another layer of Star Wars. So just, I mean, there's just so many layers to this episode. So many connections to all sorts of things going on. And in the middle of the Star Wars bar, we get a very familiar non-puppet puppet face. <laughs> <laughs> when she picked him up and started shaking him around, <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> Yeah, see, that was very funny, very broad comedy. And just, and like, how can you, like, that's a puppet. How can you tell? And then when you think that's funny, and then the puppet is like, how could you think I'm a puppet? Because it's not a puppet. (laughs) Now, we learned a new feature of Rutherford's eyepiece. Um, It has, unless we knew this before, but it has an x-ray feature, um, which he should have used before she grabbed the what she thought was the puppet. Well, she grabbed him pretty fast. <laughs> there wasn't true. a lot of time. Then he goes, I think he said something like, there's all sorts of internal internal organs in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that point, I mean, uh, you know, so the, the, that was a great deep cut. And, um, you know, there was all sorts of aliens on that planet. If you look closely, some real, you know, some deep cuts. Tripods were, you know, getting half price drinks. <laughs> like the, um, what's the A-Rex species? Tredotians? Oh. Uh, Adotions? Yeah, something like E-D-O? that. E-D-O? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I can't believe um, I pulled that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. I haven't placed the ship yet. So the Billups Bounty Hunter was a cool character. He had this ship. It. I'm not sure. I, I feel like I've seen that design somewhere. Maybe that, I can't pull out of somewhere. <laughs> like, was it like Sona ships from the insert? You know, I I don't know. I'll have to. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, have to I'm sure someone, yeah, but it was like a cool looking ship and he had the cool helmet. He sounded like a Breen, even though he didn't look like a Breen. But didn't yep. you think he sounded like a yeah, Breen? Yeah, very much. Yep. I mean, that whole thing was fun on that planet. But again, it showed how Captain Freeman has this cultural awareness like in the Ferengi episode where she understood other cultures and how other cultures viewed Starfleet and underestimated Starfleet perhaps because the whole time I'm like this 
they can't be this stupid right? because they walk into the bar in Starfleet uniforms. I mean, that just seemed so obviously Which is stupid. such a fun, like that is a funny Star Trek thing that they would show up places. And I mean, remember on in Discovery where they go to that bar and they're all wearing their Starfleet uniforms, like when they're when they play that high stakes game or whatever. And right, right. Turn, you know, they're competing. But I feel like it's something they often, especially in the original series, probably would show up in their uniforms and places that you're like maybe you shouldn't show up in there so i thought that was kind of a a riff on that and still i mean they still even though she had a good plan she still had to wait like at first they had to go to the moon and take a shuttle and then they had to wait like two hours and then it got extended by a half hour so it's like every terrible club of the 70s and 80s Right. Whereas they were let, they, you know, they let Billup straight in. Um, right. Because he was cool in his helmet. Yes. Or everyone thought he was a cool, evil bounty hunter. Bounty hunters get to go in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, because bounty hunters are cool, which again is another Star Wars thing. Yep. Bounty hunter in helmet guy. Who becomes mysteriously popular. <laughs> it's, so maybe Billups is going to get his own TV show next. But the heart of this episode, I think, was Mariner and her, the fact that she was, that everybody was so, I really liked that everybody was so concerned about her. They were just trying to save her and and protect her and stop her and communicate with her and she wasn't having it. And then she has to get stuck somewhere with a Klingon to finally say it. And she only says it when she thinks that when they're, when the glass storm stops, ouch, um, that they're going to fight each other and one of them's going to die anyway. Well, I'm not sure how seriously I took that. I thought there was another kind of commentary on this kind of utopian future that none of her friends, her mother, Miglumo, was able to reach her. The only people who really saw what was happening this season was Quimp, her friend on Ferenginar. And this Klingon she just met, like it really took this Klingon to get to the heart of the issue with her because her friends were kind of and her mother were kind of they weren't really talking to her. They were trying to trick her in essence. And so because there's always been a bit of a Klingon with Mariner herself. Yeah. She has those tendencies because the whole episode she's just raring for a fight. But not always succeeding. Like she tries to fight the Romulan and he knocks her out. Then she tries to fight the Klingon. Like she was obviously going to lose that fight, even though she was pulling some cool Kirk moves. She even yells right. Kirk Kirk when she does the double fist no, thing. Ransom said she jumped out of a shuttle to fight the Borg, but it turned out to just be a pile of junk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was going to get herself killed eventually. Yeah. But I, I I thought that was a great use of a Klingon to understand, you know, some of the great stuff about Klingon lore that was established in the next generation. And his whole thing with her was great. Uh, I really like this character, Ma, who was introduced in the same episode as Talin. So this was a wedge dude reunion and he nailed it. And I, I it was interesting that she starts talking about Cedo and the Academy kind of mentioned, you know, she had trouble at the Academy, which was a reference to the, you know, the whole Nova squadron thing. But then she talks about how Alexita was an explorer and she joined Starfleet. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, Sita was in security. She 
was training under Worf, Ma was right. She was a warrior. He 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 somehow knew her better than Mariner remembered her. You know, Mariner created this idealized version of someone that I don't think really existed in a sense. Yeah. Cause Mariner, you know, we've always said what's wrong with Mariner, right? Like she's been an ensign forever. This finally explains it. She said she wanted to be a captain. So it's not just mommy issues. Right. Um, it's survivor's guilt in a sense. Yeah. She wanted to be a captain just like her friend Cito, her hero. But in the timeline of the show, that was like 12 years ago. I'll take your word for it on that. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, and Cito was about to get her promotion. Yeah. I mean, that was what that whole episode was about. If someone right. was going to get promoted, Cito was in the running among uh, three. There were three other friends of hers. Um, but she was given this assignment and had to go undercover. The, the thing I didn't buy is when Mariner said, you know, Cedar didn't ask to be a spy and get killed by Cardassian. Obviously, she, no one wants to get killed by Cardassian, but she was Bajoran and insecurity. So if you told her that, you know, that was her fate, it's something I'm sure she would understand and even possibly accept because that was that was what she was doing. She was in Starfleet. Yeah, well, I mean, as as Mariner's Klingon friend told her, said Cito gave her life to protect people like Mariner to study. He said puzzles and mysteries and right. plants or whatever she wanted to learn about. <laughs> it all fits, as it were. It, does this mean Mariner is finally fixed, as it were? Because last episode, we thought they solved the issue of them all being promoted, but that was more about how... They're not going to let these promotions and and them going off to do other things get in the way of their friendship. Right. But didn't solve Mariner's problem with just being promoted in general and the responsibilities that come with that. Right. And look, we did see a shift with her at the end because she suddenly realized, no, I have to bring everybody together to work together, which is a very Starfleet taking charge, stepping up kind of attitude. Right. And then she gets beamed away. Right, but she was wearing her pip again. Ma gave it back, and Ma was going to attack the collection of aliens. And she said, we're going to do something harder. Yeah, I've mentioned before that Mariner is in this cycle, even episode by episode, where she's having epiphanies and then falling back constantly. Well, and what they did that I liked was they, they pushed her to the extreme, where she was really going nuts. Like, these guys were saying she'd ramped it up. So she wasn't same old Mariner who didn't learn things. She was really turning up the volume on her irresponsible behavior that was endangering herself. I think yes. Talyn, Talyn described it very well. Yes, her, cav her cavalier approach is, yeah. you know, reckless, dangerous. I mean, Talyn was so dry in this episode. The, my favorite line was when Mariner said, I could have taken out that Cardassian. And she said, Talyn said something like, I am certain you would have tried. Right. <laughs> you know, so we could see, you know, Mike talked about in your interview when he's writing to Lynn, how you just make it drier and drier and drier. And you could see that work in her, you know, few lines of dialogue in this episode. But they're yeah, just... I liked when she said it will be 2.4 times more perilous if you remain uninformed of the details. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the danger was, I mean, the cold open was great. The whole you know, I mean, we get outpost scientists, which we know she hates. There was the weird lizards that looked like birds. That and... the scientists only loved when the fence was up. Right. <laughs> and then they had anti-venom suits. 
which were like those I've always hated those TOS spacesuits. Oh. <laughs> but you know, it was the sixties. What what are you gonna do? But they, they really looked like they were something out of the fifties. They just never really, to me, fit that show. Yeah. But the Venom suits looked just like those, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, so so the episode started off very funny and also really gave you the sense of how she was out of control. Right. Um, and also that scientist, I guess his eyes are gone. He'll, he'll get some cool new eyes. <laughs> I mean, that that was, I mean, they didn't show it to us, but that was obviously pretty brutal and kind of yeah. her fault. Kind of. Not, not as brutal as Ma, who literally ate the guy yeah, who took tore over his, his captain apart. Yeah. Everyone else was like calmly taking over the bridge, but he's like, <laughs> no, this is, there's nothing calm about this. This guy's yeah. not going to the brig. It's very Klingon. Yeah. We could see why all the other aliens on the planet were afraid of him. Yes. He was the apex predator. Mariner claimed she would become the apex predator of the planet. But there was no way she would. Right. No one. Starfleet's not supposed to become the apex predator of the planet. And so she ended up <laughs> She ended up hugging him instead, which was. I loved the hugging. <laughs> <laughs> not only did. Because this episode was tying into wage dudes tying into the whole other shows but it also tied into things that have been happening this season so like when teddy shows up because mariner is about to get stabbed by the orion the orion immediately kneels to the mistress of the winter constellation which was well established what that means in the tendy orion episode yep so there were bits like that where you could see stuff woven they're just the writing on this show is so smart and so it is it is and they plan far ahead and they plant seeds for things that really bloom later you could tell they knew about this episode as they were doing the ferengi episode yep and so many of you know moments of mariner story all season long really culminated here yeah if you rewatch the season which you should do because you're gonna have plenty of time on your hands to watch star trek in the next few months in the next year um, you'll you'll start seeing all of these things. Yeah, I feel like it'll be it will be fun to go back. I want to actually watch from the beginning. I want to do a full lower decks from season one rewatch. Yeah, these characters have changed a lot since season yep. one, and the show has changed a lot. And for the, I still think season four is the best season. Yeah, I think so too. I liked previous seasons very much. I mean, I like the show from the start, but the show is getting better. You know, which is often happens in comedies and and many shows is you know as you get to develop the characters more i mean i think they're really hitting the sweet spot this season yeah i like this meta not meta story but season arc better than last season's arc which kind of you know it was another ai story and another bad morale and it just it got very mustache twirly and tropey and in the end I hope that's not where we go. So maybe I should hold off my final judgment. We'll see where things are going with Nick, but I'm I'm certainly glad that he didn't kill all those people, you know, and he is he doesn't appear to be evil as it were. Right. But although he did kidnap and abandon all these people on this planet. Right, but they're so far fine. <laughs> well, you know, in a way we don't know, I mean cuz it the, the the people gathered at the end, those appeared to be 
captains and first officers, but these ships had hundreds of people on them. So right. did did they just leave the captains and the first officers behind or more? You know, is that was that all that was left? Like, what about all the commanders and sub commanders and all that? Right. Uh, you know, because if it's just the lower deckers that Locarno wants to work with, the equivalent of the ensigns, and one one would imagine people below ensigns, because the weird thing in Star Trek is ensign is actually not the lowest rung. That's just the right. lowest rung of officer. You know, they complain about being ensigns, but what about the just people? Crewmen. Like- there are people who are just crewmen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Miles O'Brien's of this world. Exactly. Although yeah. Miles O'Brien is in charge of a lot of things. Yes, but he st- wait, when he started out, he was just running the transporter. No, he, 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 <laughs> but that's why he's the greatest character in Star Trek, because he right. has such an amazing arc over time. He does. Although he still has that web comic where he's still just... I, I, was, that's what was, I was laughing about, <laughs> just remembering his web comic, where he's yeah. just standing there waiting for something to happen. <laughs> Indeed. Which, I mean, is also, that comic looks at, it's called O'Brien at Work. I think, right? Yeah. We've done um, articles about that. On yeah, we've talked about it before. But it is also looking at Starfleet, at being in Starfleet the same way that Lower Decks does, which is like we always watch the adventures of all the people in the conference room who are making the decisions and doing the exciting things and going to the landing parties. So not only are all these lower, there are all these lower deckers, but there's also guys just do, who do maintenance, who just stand in rooms. And do the real dirty work. Right. Like, what is there to do in the transporter room when nobody's transporting? I don't know. (laughs) And he doesn't even get like a chair, you know? Right. (laughs) Just or like a little desk to do some work or some kind of maintenance or something. But yeah, just standing there like waiting for someone to burst in. That was one of the subtle improvements of the uh, J.J. Abrams, you know, 2009 Star Trek movie is the uh, transporter people got desks. Because it makes sense, you know, that they're working there all day. Yep. They need something to do. (laughs) Gotta let these guys sit down. Anyway, I I digress. But it all ties into, it's all really part of the same thing. And it's a great examination of what it means to live in that fictional world. You know, there's something that I've enjoyed all of this season, and we saw more of it in this episode. But all season long, you tendy, the one person who hasn't had a problem with promotion at all is Tendi, really. She saved them three times in this episode. Yeah, like, she's just she, quietly competent throughout. Out at the last minute. She downloaded all the information they needed to be on the planet, and then she jumped in to be mistress of the Winter Constellations. Yeah. It was her plan to go to the station was on the planet. That was her yeah. plan. Yeah. She's, she's really stepping up. She's been great. What did you think of Rutherford not being part of that group? It was an interesting choice. So they're like, okay, so we're going to bring in Talyn to that group and put Rutherford with the captain because it would be too much to just have them all there. Right. But then Rutherford didn't do a whole lot in that other story. Well, except for use his scanner, but his x-ray scanner. But otherwise he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot. No, it seemed like the captain was even keeping Shax and him. Well, obviously him, but both him and Shax out of the plan. Right. Who besides Bill? I mean, people would have known someone had to make that suit and they had to get the ship arranged. Ransom probably knew. I guess she wanted them to act genuine. Didn't think that they could be trusted. Which is good. Like I, you know, I always 
look, there are a lot of TV shows where people have to pretend to do things. And I'm like, not everybody's actually a good actor. But because they have actors playing the characters, they always like every cop show where they go undercover. And I'm like, there's a lot of acting involved in right. that. So I like Freeman didn't have time for that nonsense. And she was like, I don't, they might not be good actors. I'm not going to worry about it. It's something she learned in her um, seminar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which she did really well at. Her hoodlums and racketeers. I seminar. love the word hoodlums. Hoodlums. <laughs> you imagine this like stuffy Starfleet room full of people where they're talking about, you know, hoodlums and racketeers. And they're all these polished utopian people who kind of they're you know because there definitely is the, the this element of people don't like the federation outside the federation right everyone in that bar they're like starfleet sucks you know like everyone and those guys running the planet were just very much not fans but they seem to be fine you know they don't need the federation and they don't like the federation and maybe they've got a point well they were supposed to be a bunch of criminals so that would explain why they don't like the federation Yes, but they they're, they had a functioning society. As she said, don't you famously not have rules? And they're like, no, we've got rules. And, you know, you're just not part of it. Sure. Um, I feel like because she's had issues with the Fed. I mean, there's a there's another question of why Freeman, who is obviously smart, is the captain of a California class and she gets no respect. She wasn't invited to the party, yada, yada, yada. We see how she gets how – she has an outsider's point of view. And she's in previous season, she's talked about how Starfleet drops the ball. That was the whole point of what was it? Operation drop by. Remember? Oh yeah. 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 Where they check back in on a planet that they haven't visited in a while to see, you know, if they've screwed things up. I, I think she's has an interesting arc. I, you know, it's good that the up, the senior officers aren't stupid on this show. No. And honestly, where they started in season one, they weren't great. They have come a long way. Like Freeman and Ransom in particular. Yeah, because they were foils. The thing about Mariner, why she was having such a hard time, which was well established at the beginning of this season, was her cycle was always get promoted, screw up, get demoted. And Ransom made it clear he wasn't going to let her do that. Right. Which she told Ma. She's like, my commander won't let me. Right. He's <laughs> supporting me and having faith in me. And she was really frustrated. Obviously, that was part of their plan because they had to explain how this time she can't successfully self-sabotage even though in the Moopsy episode she tried really hard um <laughs> to do so i i don't even remember i mean it's funny like how you remember episodes now i don't remember what that was called but everyone knows when you say the Moopsy episode right? i think it was i have no bones but i must flee or something. Or Scream. I forget. Well, the original story was, was Scream. So I think. Right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else from this episode and storylines that we haven't, I think we've covered. I mean, there were only really two storylines for this episode. Right. Anything else we haven't really got into yet? No. I mean, I think, I think we've covered it. Well, here's a, here's a fun moment that's kind of commenting on Star Trek. Um, so Rutherford did have a funny moment when he discovered that they their uniforms have pockets. <laughs> yes, first he claimed they didn't, and then he discovered they did. Well, because I think people have joked about don't you know why don't they have pockets in the future? Because pockets are great. But they 
they ruin the line of the uniform and the you know the the director and the costumer do not want to see people putting things in their pockets so what's also like a lot of women's clothing which is so annoying and it's the same theory it's like you shouldn't disturb the beautiful look of it and in the meantime where are we supposed to put our stuff Hence the purse or in Starfleet, those stupid cylinder bags. The cylinder. I'd rather have a cylinder bag than a purse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure someone's made on Etsy a little cylinder bag purse. I'm sure that exists. That would be worth having. And I don't carry a purse. (laughs) (laughs) Because I buy clothes with pockets. (laughs) So I think that's it. You know, it's I think it's a good episode, even though it's a part one. It doesn't feel like. They they put the good stuff at the end, even though I imagine there's lots of good stuff in the season finale. I think we've seen there's a couple episodes of Prodigy. I also I felt like the part one was a little and and we've seen this with the live action shows, not enough of an episode. No, this was full of things that actually happened. It wasn't just set up for the next one. Yeah, there was season plot arc stuff, character stuff, resolutions yeah. of things. It's a full and complete episode. In a way, they didn't really need the to be continued, but it's fun anyway, right? Well, I mean, they did need it because they beamed Mariner away. That's true. Because it, it, I guess because I, yeah, the show is so episodic in general that for her to end the episode not not safely somewhere, you know, but we saw her kind of leave Starfleet for a little while last season. We've seen her go off on her own before. But anyway, no, I'm not criticizing the to be continued. <laughs> How dare you? Exactly. <laughs> it's, such a pre- it's such a precious thing, the to be continued, the typeface, the whole thing. I know. It just reminds you of, in particular, of a very long summer. Right. Back in the day. I just got to that part of, the, well, I finished the Patrick Stewart book, which we'll talk about more another time. But he does talk about that cliffhanger. <laughs> I thought, speaking of Mr. Stewart, you know, her inspiring speech was very Picard-like and the music was really good there. They brought in some interesting themes there. So I I think Tawny Newsom did a really good job in this episode. They they asked a lot of her, both broad comedy and, you know, getting serious. And she's a good actress and she really nailed it. Yeah, I think she's terrific. So no complaints. Nope. Except that... Like last week, we can't immediately watch this episode. Hopefully, right. you know, but we'll we'll get it a couple days in advance. So we'll have a podcast out in time and a review out in time. But they're definitely playing it close to the chest. Yeah, they but are. It's hard um, to believe the season's almost over, too. I know. Just one week away. The first week of November will be our last review. And then we begin. Um, so we're, we're now switching to we're done talking about the episode, I guess. Um, we don't really have bits of the week this week, but uh, yeah, it's something to think about. We're about to enter into a new phase starting next week. We are going to get some Prodigy this year, but it'll be Prodigy we've seen before. Right. <laughs> it'll We're, just be. Let's re-review it. I don't think we need to do that. Yeah. So which, I mean, we do have some thoughts about some of the things we'd like to do and we want to do interviews, which obviously we're limited with right now because we can't interview any actors but there are other people we can talk to but if you our lovely listeners have things you would like us to talk about topics you want us to cover shows you want us to think about again people you'd like us to interview please come to the site 
and tell us your ideas because we're interested. So, yeah, the All Access Star Trek podcast will continue as it has for the last few years, mostly on a weekly basis. But we will probably have more weeks without a new episode in t- starting after next week for about a year. We'll have new Discovery. Maybe we'll have new Prodigy next year and we'll have some new Lower Decks maybe next year. But we don't know what else. Yeah, if anything. Maybe by the end of the year, some stuff starts rolling in. Maybe the Section 31 movie, maybe some Strange New Worlds by the end of the year. Almost certainly not Academy stuff because that won't even start shooting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a, now probably a 2025 show. Anyway, maybe we'll get some some very short tracks again next no. year. <laughs> I don't want any more of those. But maybe we'll get if if you think of the original short treks, it it was born out of an issue they had with post production on Discovery season two, I think, where they wanted to get some content out because that was back in the day when CBS All Access like had nothing that had the the Good Wife spinoff and and the Star Good Trek. Fight. The Good Fight was a great show. Just saying. I think someone said, "Just give us something," and they're like, "Okay, well, we could do this." short treks thing maybe there's another you know, maybe they could cobble together a kind of quick thing where they could get some episodes of of a new short treks out that would be kind of fun it's hard because that's they have to start it up and get it all going and they have all the same production problems and budget problems and it's i mean i loved the risk taking of the short treks like i just thought oh they tried to do different things and i didn't like all of them but i liked some of them and i thought they really were very experimental and fascinating but i think financially they ended up costing them more than they had hoped yes and i think there may be a practical issue where it would only make sense if they had idle sets somewhere in Canada that they could shoot on. That was the right. kind of the thing about short treks or the live action ones, at least, was they were all just shot on what otherwise would have been empty Discovery sets. Right. The Strange New World sets and what's left of the Discovery sets, which are going to become the Academy sets. But I think this Section 31 sets are going to use both of them. Um, so who knows if the if there's anything that's just sitting around not being used, probably not. Not so much. Although you could probably shoot whole episodes in the volume of something that would be that a doesn't combination. necessarily make things easier in this particular case, though. Like that's true. That's, that's true. You know, that's not going to make it more efficient or happen more quickly than they just have to do all the work up front. Yeah. Anyway, we're you know we'll leave that to others. We're trying to solve the. Star Trek content deficit in 2024 problem, and we're not going to solve that problem. <laughs> no. Now. But it's something, you know, we'll discuss this in upcoming podcasts. For now, I think we should say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>